Good morning and welcome to Sales Academy Showcase with your host, Adam Brooks. Sales Academy Showcase is a show where we interview business leaders to get underneath and to go a little bit deeper to learn more about the people behind the brands that they've built. Now, I'm a big fan of podcasts, so I'm going to say this, podcast safely. Listening to engaging content can distract you from your daily life, but no animals or business leaders were harmed in the making of these shows yet. Today, we have the pleasure of a conversation with Ian McQuone of Go Climate Positive. So an individual who I believe has uh, an awesome business, but also an inspiring, inquisitive mind, an inspiring message. And, and as far as I'm concerned, Ian is someone I like to hang out with. I always judge people by, would I like to have a beer with him? And Ian is definitely one of these guys. I would let them introduce uh, his business in more detail as we get into the conversation. Uh, but first, Ian, let's start with how we met. So would you like to tell our listeners, our audience, how we met? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I won you in a charity raffle. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, you and I both um, uh, have been, uh, used to go to Stradnet and on a few occasions. And um, I remember you and Robin Waite having a coach off. Um, and there was a coach off for charity. And uh, whoever was the highest bidder would get some coaching with yourself uh, and Robin. Um, it turned out a lot of people were interested in coaching me because I think three people actually all bid the same amount. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, but it was it was great because that actually um, got me into um, yeah six months of coaching myself and and we've just kind of carried on from there. Yeah, it was great. It was a, it was a fun morning and I was I was blown away with how much we raised for the charity and the fact that all three of you yeah. I, I had I had no option but to offer all three of you the deal right because it was it was just yeah. you all pegged the same amount. So it was like right cool let's do this. So. Yeah. What I, what I loved about your presentation is the way you were bringing fun and games in. It was all about gamification. And I just thought, you know, I'm operating in the world of sustainability, which frankly is a bit po-faced most of the time. And I just thought, you know, we could get, we could do again a bit of fun in here. Yeah. Well, we've had some fun on the journey so far, haven't we? So we have. Excellent. Excellent. So <clears throat> let's go back a little bit further. And so before you met me, go back even further. Uh, and, and before you were doing Go Climate Positive, just tell us so we can find out a little bit about you. What were you doing before? And so give us, give us myself and our viewers, a little bit of a background about Ian and your career, experience, business, etc. Okay. Well, I, it's, it's taken a few twists and turns. I actually left school as an apprentice doing electronics engineering. Okay. Um, believe it or not. Um, but it turns out I was a rotten electronics engineer. And everything I designed refused to work. <laughs> so I, uh, um, I actually took a, a left turn into kind of technical training and then into, um, uh, into technical support and, and troubleshooting. Um, and that actually kind of put me in this space where I was, on the one hand, talking with engineers. And my technical background was enabled me to talk to the language of engineers, but also talking to um, I hesitate to say normal people, um, uh, and being able to translate between the two. Uh, that led me to a company that was with asking me to move into product marketing, which is very explicitly about that interface between design and engineering um, and the commercial aspects of the company and the rest of the world. Um, and, I've, and I've spent a lot of my career in product marketing. Um, and uh, it's, but I've been lucky because the companies I've worked for, product marketing has been at the heart of business strategy. So that me really into and thinking about business strategy which is where um which is what i really love doing actually yeah. um and and that's ultimately got me where i am but i guess um eventually i ended up as a company director in a large multinational company which is kind of general management with a sales and marketing um bias yeah. um and that's that that's kind of um the, the last thing i was doing before I started my business, uh, what, 18 months or so ago. Yeah, okay. And that, that kind of came out for me in the conversations we had was your, you know, that engineer that you talked about and being able to translate between engineers and the reality of, of products and stuff. And people, that's a gift, Ian. Not everyone has that. You know, the, the, the technical mind and then translating that so that it makes sense and you can launch products and get it off the ground, but also having that commercial edge around the, the branding of it, the marketing of it, the sales of it, the commerciality of it. It's a, it's a kind of rare breed to be blunt. 
it's, uh, well, I've been lucky that I've had all these different experiences. And, yeah. you know, as you know, when, you, when you're running a, a, a small business, you have to be able to put your hand to anything, don't you? So yeah. having yeah, all yeah. these experiences definitely helps. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, mate. That's brilliant. So, so what inspired you then with Go Climate Positive? What inspired you to get into this? Well, um, when I became a director at uh, that last company I was working for, um, one of the things they like all the directors to do is, as well as wearing a functional hat, they like them to have a corporate social responsibility hat. Yeah. Um, and the guy who looked after environment had just left. So I was given the environment to look after as a, as a corporate social responsibility. Um, and to be fair, the, it's, it, although it was multinational, it was a family-run business, and um, uh, you know, and, and the guys running the business actually really passionate about this as well. Um, and that gave me the opportunity to really understand about environmental issues and, and how that um, affects business. Um, and I I came across um, a book called Overfished Ocean Strategy. In fact, I've got a copy here because I thought you might ask me this. Brilliant. Um, by a lady called Nadia Zayshan Bayeva. I think. <laughs> well, welcome to the presentation. And this, uh, this had a huge impact on me because for the first time it was talking about environmental issues, not as a problem to be solved, but as a business opportunity. Okay. Yeah. And so, in the, yes, in the context of solving the problem, but actually saying we, we can, if we can approach environmental issues as a business opportunity, yeah. then actually there's a... a um, we can actually get business engaged in that in a completely different way. And that completely turned on my head, my ideas about how to approach, about the environment and how to approach it. And it, and it kind of uh, helped me to see how I'm, you know, care for the environment and the world we live in, how that can align with my little business strategy. Brilliant. And maybe take, you know, a different approach to solving some of these problems. Fantastic. So in terms of, um, I'm going to ask you about your passion about it in a minute. Because uh, I love lis listening to you talk about this stuff because it, it, it can be a waggy finger industry, right? When we hear carbon footprint and all that sort of stuff, it feels, and I love the way you describe that at times. I'll get that into that in a sec, but in terms of like the leap of faith or actually physically making the move into it, how long, how long was that? Was it an overnight thing? You know, what actually triggered it? Well, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reflector and a planner. So um, I guess from the moment when I started thinking about this, um, well, the first thing I did was starting to incorporate that idea into what I was doing in my yeah. day job. So I was lucky that I had a business unit um, to manage and lead. And so I could think about how can I incorporate these ideas into the strategy for my business unit. Yeah. Um, and after I, 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 that, I guess that's where the genesis came. And, that's, and I, it probably took me, Originally, it was going to take 18 months, but it actually took three years because I had a very smart boss. So it took me about 18 months of working out what I wanted to do and yeah. figuring out some of the, the processes and strategies and things of the way I wanted to put it together. And then I went to my boss and said, look, I'm passionate about this. I want to do this. And she was very, very smart because she said, great. Um, really happy to support you doing that, but can you do it for us first? Yeah. <laughs> so that that allowed her to keep me for another 18 months which yeah. I, I don't mean to sound arrogant but that was like oh that's my that's my dream project and it allowed me to kind of test out some of the theories and ideas that I, yeah that I well, it's a, it sounds like a win-win for them and for you right yeah it was, yeah. It was. um and then once got that done I went back and said okay um we've done this but I really do want to get out and, and see what influence uh, I can have on other businesses too so um so 18 months or, or, or th three years, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Wow. Um, so the, the, the dream started to build and the idea started to build in that time. Um, yeah. And the passion's always been there. So why, why do you believe in it so much? Now, this might be an easy question for you to answer, but I, I, I'm thinking from the viewer's point of view and everything else, why do you believe in it so much? Why is it so important to you that you dedicate all your time and passion and energy into into this field and this business? Uh, I think there's a few answers to that. The first and maybe most obvious one is, you know, my daughter, Rhiannon, is 18 years old. She's getting out into the world. She's starting her, you know, her adult life. Um, and frankly, um, I want her, I don't want her to inherit a world that's becoming hostile 
to human life. And frankly, we're on a track where that's becoming the truth, where that's becoming the case. Um, and I just want her to have the opportunity to live a safe and healthy and meaningful life. Yeah. Um, which might sound a cliche, but it's, it's what we all want as parents, isn't it? Of course it is, um, yeah. and, 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 and it was getting, you know, getting involved in understanding environmental issues made me realise that actually, not in, not in this, I've never been an eco-warrior, but it's just in very practical terms, we can't carry on the way we are doing. Yeah. If we do, we're going to come into a full stop. Because we treat the world as if it's infinite and all the resources are infinite. And we have our whole economic system and the way we do things is built on that principle that we can keep on taking stuff out of the earth, use it and chuck it away. Um, and it's, it's simply not the case. It's not true. It's a finite planet and, we, and we're growing exponentially. So we've got to do things differently, just yeah. on, a purely practical, on a purely practical level. Um, and then I just think, well, if that's good enough for my daughter, why isn't it good enough for everybody? And so, you know, every, 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 other, every other person's son or daughter deserves that opportunity yeah. to live a meaningful life and a safe life and a healthy life. So sustainability and, you know, and operating in a better way is about social justice as well um, as about, you know, saving the planet. Love that. Love that. You don't hear about it talked in a kind of social justice um, format and this is why i love talking to you about this subject because i've learned so much from you in terms of the the technical detail as well as the the kind of reasons behind it and stuff you and i, I can't remember there was a, sh a fact and I, I can't remember the specific fact but i remember it blew me away when you shared with me about how, how long we've got left of farming if we carry on the way we are and there, there were some real uh, uh, things that yeah 60 years has been estimated 60 years of soil where we, the, way, the way we're going yeah that's insane, isn't it? Yeah. I learned another really interesting and scary fact this week, actually. There's something called the, the wet bulb temperature, which is a way of measuring both temperature and humidity together. And there's basically there's a, a limit on that. 35 degrees of the wet bulb temperature is the limit of human life. And you, you can't survive that. And what I discovered this week is that there's parts of Pakistan and the UAE that have already hit that on more than one occasion. Only for a few hours at a time. Yeah. But they've actually hit that limit of human life already. And um, yet we've still got a long way to go with the global warming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it kind of it, it's one of these I don't know whether it's paradoxical or or just the, the complexity of it or the ignorance of it. There's you know, I, I used to look watch my granddad repair stuff. You know, and, and they never threw stuff away as a, yeah. as a kind of, as an age, isn't it? You know, but at the same time, they were probably living through the worst of the industrial age in terms of the mass production, <laughs> the way we were. So we kind of can't heart back because it wasn't perfect then. We were kind of almost the, the romantic elements of how we lived our lives, but industrialized, it was just chaos. So yeah. why are we so slow to the, to the game on this? <laughs> I think you're right. You can't romanticize the past. Some things about it were good. So that whole thing of actually you buy quality and you make it last and you repair it and you upgrade yeah. it. And it's definitely something we need to get back to. At the same time, like you say, we're pumping out all manner of pollutants <laughs> into the atmosphere at the time. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of, you know, social justice and, and workers' rights and those kind of things, you know, there, there was something to be desired there too. Um, but so, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to learn from the past. Both, both the good and the bad. So, Why does it taste on? It's, um, I think it's, it's momentum. You know, when you're running a business, and I've run a business in a big organization, yeah. um, there's a constant pressure to deliver yeah. you know, on, on sales and on profit, uh, and to deliver not just over five years, 10 years, but to deliver this year, this quarter, this month, this week. And so it's really, really hard to say, well, maybe we have to take a step back to move forward. And sometimes you do have to do that. It's really tough to do it. So there's just this massive momentum in organisations and in, in, in the economy, I think, that make it really hard to say, actually, we need to change direction here. And, you know, you have to apply, you know, if you just think of it in, like your physics, in terms of physics, you're moving fast in this direction. You have to find massive force over here to get it to move in the direction. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so it's a combined. I think there's there's a big combination of. I don't want to get into politics, but of, of politics, of business, of education, of you know, and this kind of it feels like a unification because what one of the things I've learned from you so far is it's the little things that we can do and the compound effect of those little things in in everyday life and in everyday business and you know my even my ignorance talking to you initially about yeah but that's for big guys right and actually yeah. it's so not I th I think that's one of the big reasons is it feels like such a big problem it's like oh how can I <laughs> how could I have an impact here because it's this massive problem yeah um and 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 i've even heard you know sustainability professional i've been speaking with this week even saying in reality we're not going to do this sorry and i thought well hold on it's it is a big problem but if if i think we have a tendency to think of it in terms of um individual efforts so it seems massive because we've got have lots and lots of individual efforts and if we had all those up we're there yeah. But for me, that completely ignores is the power of relationships and the power of networks to multiply the the active the actions that we have and to multiply the effect. And and if we can harness the power of everybody working together, and all businesses and, and governments and consumers working together, then the multiplication effect of that I think can be massive. Yeah. So you know, I I still remain optimistic that we can do it. And, you know, and what happens, you know, when one business goes and then says to the next business, says to their suppliers, actually, I need you to come with me or says to their customers, I need you to come with me and I'm going to help you do it by creating products which are more sustainable. Yeah. Then that has a ripple effect. And yeah. That ripple effect causes exponential change. We just got to kind of get to a tipping point and we've got, we've got to push hard until we get to a tipping point. Once we do, then it will start to move quick. And where do you think, in your opinion, where do you think we are on that on that journey so far as a as a global as a business community? I think the penny's dropped. Okay. <laughs> I think that's where we are, if we're yeah. honest. So massive it's action has a long time. Realization has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think that's where we are, and that's obviously that's the first thing that has to happen before you can change anything in the system. Is the penny has to drop with enough people. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, where you mentioned a penny, um, first time I ever read it was in Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect. Well, we're talking about the compound effect then. Um, I don't know whether it was written before or not, but the it was asked a question of kind of delayed gratification, really. So would you, if I was to give you three million pounds now in your hand or a penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days, what would you rather have? Yeah. And, and I've ran this exercise at talks and there's so many people go for the three million and stuff. And it's like, at day 29, it's worth 2.7 million. So your 3 million looks good. The penny is only worth 2.7, but then it goes 5.4 and then it goes 10.7. It's like, that's the power of that little action compound effect done continuously over a period of time. And it really, really just hit me hard in terms of it's the little things that we do that make a difference. It is, and that's exactly the approach that we need to take on the climate emergency and, uh, and on you know, sustainability in general. Yeah, and I love that in your name. It go, it's go climate positive as opposed to carbon positive, which you know I kept calling it that for a while. But it's that whole carbon message, which I don't think is. We'll talk about some horror stories and that in a little while. But I don't, I don't necessarily feel it's done the industry as much good as it should have done because it came across as a sort of a wrap across the knuckles in in effect. And that was, you know, I've just come back from Milan and stuff, and that's two flights. So I need to understand more how I can offset that sort of stuff but also then look at supply chain. And that's the, the exciting stuff that I want to get into in a bit more detail as well in a minute about how you really look at the whole journey, not just the individual business, right? So on that kind of, sorry, Mike, go on. I was gonna say, there's a, there are a lot of confusing jargon words and terminologies around this, um, which we can start to pick. One of them you've already mentioned, um, carbon positive and carbon negative. Yeah. You've probably heard both the phrases. The crazy thing is, they mean exactly the same thing. Or in fact, <laughs> the way in which organisations use them, they're using them to mean exactly the same thing. Yeah, but that's confusing for that's confusing, confusing as hell. Public. Yeah, absolutely. Um, carbon negative is correct mathematically because we're trying to save more carbon than we're producing, so it's yeah. less. The problem with it is 
negative language kicks in like loss aversion bias. So it's, it's actually not very motivating, which is why I think some organizations use carbon positive, but that's mathematically incorrect. So that's why I prefer to use the word climate positive, because ultimately we're trying to have this positive impact on the climate. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And it just, well, yeah, it simplifies the message down. Um, so I wanted to ask you about why would somebody need um, your services in their lives, but I'd like to bring that closer to the end of the conversation if I could, Ian, because while we're on this subject then, let's explore what are some of the myths, the horror stories, you know, the negative rumors about your industry. Let's bust a couple of these myths now, because there's so many things that get thrown about, about the, you know, um, the planet warming up is a myth. It doesn't exist and all that sort of stuff. And you've got political leaders even arguing this and some disagreeing with it and the Paris, you know, so bust a few of these myths for us now with your knowledge. Well, to, to be honest, I'm pleased to say, I, I'm not sure that, that we have, that um, we've still got that, you know, global warming is a myth um, as, as, a, as an overriding issue. Now, everybody I speak to is perfectly happy to accept it. Yeah. Um, and I think even the governments that don't want that don't like what we've got to do to combat it officially do recognize it. Yeah, they're accepting it. Okay. And so I think I think we're I think we're largely beyond that now. Um, I think that actually the, the biggest and most dangerous myth is I was talking about earlier is the fact that it's too big to deal with. And and that therefore we shouldn't actually try uh, and do anything about it at all. Because uh, as I say, I think through the compound effect and through just you know, getting on and starting them down that journey, we can absolutely um, have a have a massive impact on it. Yeah, um, uh, there are all sorts of things. So um, there's a lot of confusion around the terminology. So even what a carbon footprint is, um, if you look at the standards, believe it or not, the way the standards are written means that you you can actually choose how much of your of what you do is included in your carbon footprint. So. Some organisations will say my carbon footprint is the um, the energy that we're that we're using in our operations and yeah. the fuel that we're using on our operations, and kind of leave it at that. Okay. Um, but that's neglecting all of the carbon that's used in our supply chain and in our value chain. And so, when you're when you're looking at a, to do a full carbon footprint. Um, yeah. It's really important to look at all those activities, um, but it, it's very common still for a lot of organisations just to look at um, at those direct um, operational things. So technically, I, I try I try I don't want to do, talk too much technical language because it's because it's a turn off. But technically, it's called scope one and two, and then all that value chain stuff is scope three. Um, right. So, and, just, uh, can you just explain those? Because you do these brilliantly in your YouTube videos. You you break this down into little bite-sized chunks. So, for some best. people that have never heard of supply chain before or value chain before and stuff, and I'm I don't want to condescend about, but I, I'm just uh, aware that l there are lots of jargon in different industries. So, what do they actually mean? Because you're absolutely right. I, I get the operations bit. That's what we focus on. So, what's the value chain and the supply chain? Bit? Yeah. So, the supply chain bit is um, well. All the things that are about getting the materials out of the ground into your organization so with you the know, products and services you buy there's been you know energy um, consumed uh, to extract them out of the ground to process them turn them into something useful and to transport them to you yeah if you're using energy then you're releasing carbon or greenhouse gases yeah okay um, and then you know you also got things like um, the commuting your employees do to get to your premises you know, is arguably a part of your responsibility. Uh, the waste that you create in your operations actually requires carbon to process that waste. Yeah. Um, and that, that's another element of it too. Um, even, you know, getting, whilst in scope one, it includes the fuel that you're burning, so the gas or the oil that you're burning to heat your premises, doesn't actually include extracting that out of the ground. That's yeah. actually part of your supply chain. Usually. Um, on the value chain side, you've got all the stuff you do with your customers. So that's transporting the products that you make to your customer. Um, it might be uh, if your products use electricity. Yeah. Then actually they're creating greenhouse gas emissions whilst they're being used. And then what happens to that product at the end of its life? Yeah. If you're putting a product into the world. Yeah. Then actually, you know, there's, I, I think there's some responsibility to think about what happens at its end of life. And, 
and that and the end of life processing will also create um, a carbon footprint too. If you're a franchise business, what about the footprint of your franchisees? How much of that are you responsible for? If you're an investment business, what's happening with your investments? Yeah, okay. What kind of footprint are they, are they creating? As in which companies are they investing into? And then yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. okay. Because so, you, that's a choice. That's a choice you make. And you can yeah. choose to invest in companies that are polluting or not. And, you know, how readily available is that kind of... And this is... <laughs> yeah. drop in, this is where I think the... You know, because I use a mobile phone and I, we all do, right? We're now using Zoom technology to do this interview and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the amount of digging up of the ground just to produce one screen is, is insane, right? But, you know, Microsoft is shoving great big server tanks down into the ocean to keep them cool and stuff so that we've got these kind of facilities. And with all lockdown, you talked about the fuel of all your staff and where they're coming from to come to your offices, a responsibility that we have as a business. Uh, we could easily say, oh, it's right, we're doing it all by Zoom now. But like, what's the carbon effect of, or the kind of climate effect of all of these Zoom calls? Because that's massive data centers with servers and rackings and they heat up and then you've got air conditioning units to keep those cool. So it's, this isn't as green as it looks, is it? So it's quite a complicated. It is complicated and I do my best to try and take that into account. What I will say is it's greener than us all driving around to see each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless you've got an electric car. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so to estimate it is a challenge. And one of the myths, I think, or one of the difficulties is, and the reason a lot of big businesses haven't gone fully into that whole supply chain and value chain is because it's difficult to, to accurately calculate. Mm. And they often say, well, we can't calculate it accurately, so we won't include it. Now, my point of view is, I think it's more important to have a ballpark estimate of everything yeah than to have a really accurate calculation of a small amount yeah yeah because we you know at the end of the day it's all about choosing you know going in the right direction and doing things that are going to actually reduce our footprint and doing the things that will reduce our footprint the most yeah and ignoring something that's potentially big just because it's hard to calculate doesn't actually help that yeah, it's much more important to give the best estimate we can yeah. and then we'll see yeah ballpark wise is it you know if you look at the 80 to 20 role is it in the 80 percent or is it in the 20 percent if we, you know if it's in the 80 percent then we need to worry about it if it's in the 20 percent then maybe we don't and the estimate was good enough but to then but to say we can't do it because it's it we can't do it accurately uh well you know it's an approach but it's i i just think it's um it's it's, it's not the most empowering way to think about it. It's you know, much better to think about, let's, let's get that broad understanding of what we're doing and then we can you know, know which direction we need to move in. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so, so um, it, I mean, you have to estimate it sometimes, but I'd rather estimate it than, than ignore it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It, it's, it, feels, it feels like the exploring the motives behind people wanting to do this or not and the it's almost like motives and incentives because it feels like legislation won't work because if you put legislation in, we'll find loopholes because that's what a lot of businesses do rightly or wrongly. But it's like, it's really getting under the motives behind why somebody would want to do this. Like your motive, you said right at the start is a very personal one. And if we expand that by X amount of billion people, we've, we've solved the problem, right? I think you're right. Cause I think if the motive is to measure the environmental impact of a business, inevitably the motivation is to try and make that as accurate as possible yeah my motivation is to get businesses moving on reducing their environmental impact yeah to do the right, thing, thing, for the right reason absolute accuracy doesn't matter i don't mean that we just have a wild guess it's got to be a meaningful estimate that is yeah. you know as accurate as possible but i'm yeah. not going to let absolute accuracy get in the way of getting on with it but to be fair, that's what I love about some of the tools that you've and the calculators and the things that you've put together that really gets under the skin of this. And I know this is probably too much for this call, but this is what I would encourage anyone that's not sure what to do and how to do it just to literally get in touch with you because the process that you take people through, even just understanding where they are, we, like we had a conversation last week where you met a company that was doing everything really well, but they weren't actually identifying it, certificating it and demonstrating it and shouting about it yet. So there's always stuff that you can do with them, right? 
yeah, but yeah. the process that you take them through and you show me just it makes sense and it's the first time it's ever made sense to me <laughs> you know so genuinely i mean that it's really made sense in terms of a logical approach to looking at this because it's about doing things right for the right reasons as opposed to doing it so that you get a certain score so you don't get a fine yeah which is the wrong intention if that makes it, sense it is that said i do think the government have a big part to play yeah totally um in kind of you know setting the setting setting an, an economic environment where you're not penalized for doing this yeah they need or to not be some of the incentivized for doing it yeah. and that's it you know and I, and and so one of the, one of the challenges at the moment is businesses don't pay the full cost of what it takes to bring their products to market okay they might pay the full financial cost but it's ignoring yeah. maybe what it you know the cost to the environment and the cost of clearing up what they're doing to the environment yeah well um, I the mobile phone industry they're they're prolific for this right in terms of the destruction left behind to give us the efficiency of having a lovely beautiful sparkly wraparound screen phone in our pockets yeah and it's and it's not even that it's malicious it's actually in some cases the, the systems aren't in place that would enable them to do that because governments haven't put them in place yeah and i guess you're dealing with you know you're, you're dealing with globalization there in terms of policy and if you're if you've it, it, i don't know as a manufacturer if you're saying right we've got agreement in place that we can't allow you to manufacture this part of our devices unless you've got x y and z in well if they demonstrate that they have x y and z in to get, to win the contract but then they don't behave in that way you know you hear these kind of stories about some um Uzbekistan and places where there's these factories where they're shoving stuff into the river that they shouldn't be but actually they demonstrated that they weren't just to win the contract and i i don't expect you to quote on individual things mate but those are some of the horror stories that i see in here and i'm like i'm you i'm encouraging that as a user of a mobile phone effectively yeah without realizing yeah yeah, yeah, and that goes back to this ignorance, right? So, okay, so there are some horror stories still to still to put right. So, what setbacks then would you say you've had uh, in terms of so far getting this um, the mar the message out there, really understanding that message and translating that message, and how have you overcome those setbacks so far? I think the biggest setback, if you like, is myself, um, and not realizing that everybody wouldn't be as excited about this as me. <laughs> so I went into the, into started my consultancy about 18 months ago. And um, I went into it thinking, look, I'm on this fantastic mission. I can see that if we can transform businesses, there's going to be far more business opportunity. We can create greater long-term value for the business and for the customers. Why wouldn't anybody want to buy into completely transforming their business like that? Yeah. Um, and, and, the conversation you realize that actually that's a, that's a big and scary prospect. Now, I, I quite like big, hairy, audacious projects. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair, people who've got well-established businesses have got a lot to lose. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, and that's, that is a, you know, a, a, big, a big ask. Um, so it made me realize actually what I need to do is to create a way for businesses to start engaging with this where they are. Yeah. And to be able to take those small steps that eventually will, will lead to exponential change. But yet, until you've started that journey, the, the exponential change, that step is just too big. And that's where Go Climate Positive came from. Is that realize that actually let's create something that all businesses can start to do now. And that as they follow the process, we'll actually encourage them and incentivize them to transform their business, but to transform it over time rather than be this single event where we go bang and everything's different. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you from memory again, you shared a number with me about consumers uh, wanting to do business with, with businesses that are, or that have a green policy that yeah. really are demo. And it was quite a high number. It was a staggeringly high number. And that, that's when my marketing head on, I was like, Shit, businesses are really missing out with this. So there's two really interesting surveys I've seen recently. One was from last year, which I think is the one you're talking about, which is that 73% of consumers yeah. want to buy and will actually change their buying habits to buy from businesses that are doing environmental and social good. Why? 
the other staggering statistic was one the survey done much more recently right in the middle of lockdown yeah which actually found that only nine percent of people want things to carry to go back to normal after lockdown wow now we all complain about lockdown don't we yeah so yeah, yeah. that was amazing to think, but actually 81 percent of us sorry 91 percent of us um wanted to be wanted to life to be different afterwards yeah and, and when you dig under the surface of why it's because we recognize that we that actually this slowdown that we've been under i mean it's you know it's it's not good for business or people but um what it has done is it's cleared the air and we've seen lack of pollution we've seen much less traffic on the roads we've had a slower pace of life we've seen people connecting back with people which i know it's kind of a bit odd because we're all socially distancing but at the same time i feel a lot closer to a lot more people yeah and that whole clap for you know clap for carers and getting out and speaking to your next door neighbors which is a habit that we again back from the 50s that we've lost yeah um and and so i think that's the root of it people so to think that all you know most of us actually want to come out of this with a different set of priorities um is is staggering and we, we saw only a couple of weeks ago 200 of the biggest companies in the country writing to the prime minister to say please let's not go back to normal please let's prioritize a green and environmental recovery as we come out of this and please incentivize it so that we can make that happen yeah and wow when has that ever happened that no it, well it, exactly the agenda on this exactly mate and it's it's like uh, I talk about this a lot in terms of psychology and the way that we think and stuff in what drives all that, which is beliefs and values. And, stuff. and you know, values are much more deeper ingrained, but beliefs that we fight for them when we believe in something, you know, we'll fight to the death for it, but it can change in an instant, a new piece of information, a different outlook. And suddenly that belief has gone from absolutely that to over here now. And it's, so this is a real opportunity for not just beliefs to change, but values. And that drives behavior. That's a, that's a complete momentum shift that you talk about. An it is. And, and, and isn't the last few months just a perfect example of that? I've heard people say we've had 10 years worth of progress in three months. Yeah. In hey, some, I, I, in some got, yeah, I've got a technology business. We were talking about video conferencing 15 years ago when the capability was first came around, possibly even 20 years ago now. But it's like, it's, it's insane how in weeks we've, adopt, we've adapted and adopted it as a standard way of working where it's always been a nice to have you know and there was so much value put on physically meeting whites the eyes and shaking your hands and stuff like you know but like, like you said and i totally agree we've we've become closer as a unit and as a business community even though we're not able to physically meet and you you replicate that around all of these different business communities the only odd thing to come is we keep waving at the end of these zoom meetings and stuff <laughs> I'm hoping we don't wave across the boardroom table when we get back to any form of... No, what's wrong with that? It's a bit, it's a bit more human, isn't it, somehow? Are we doing a hug or a Zoom welcome? You know? <laughs> Do miss hugs. Do miss hugs. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, so 73% of consumers, just coming back to that for a second, that, that blew me away because you know what I'm like in terms of my marketing brain and, and, and the kind of content and all that sort of stuff. And that staggered me that there are businesses that are just, in some senses, there are businesses that are really, really good at this green stuff, but they're not very good at shouting about it. They're not very good at sharing it. And they're certainly not making their consumers aware that they are that way inclined, right? And then there are others that are just not very good at it in terms of doing good things and also not very good but to understand that we are sitting here as a driving force now, almost the power in the consumer's hands to go, we want better, yeah. you know, and that's moving into the, we expect better because this is a, um, an instant gratification society. So the, the impact of, if we don't, if we don't see businesses shifting after this lockdown period and during this lockdown, period, I think that's going to have a massive impact on the way that we have to market and communicate and tell our stories from the little man right up to the super big guys. And I think the little man can adapt quicker. We're more speedboats. Yeah, absolutely. Right, like you talked about the big one. Well. <laughs> but uh, no, it is, but the, the challenge then is, how do, you, how do consumers then know that the messages they're getting from you know, the businesses and brands they're buying 
are meaningful and, yeah. and they're actually doing what they say they're doing because yeah. like you say there are some businesses that do great things and never talk about it yeah there are some doing um terrible things but are actually brilliant at spinning you know straw into gold and and then have you thinking that they're the most environmental company or not and actually what they're doing is just kind of a little bit over there yeah um and so that that is going to become an increasing challenge is how do you actually evidence it and demonstrate that what you're doing really is uh, having the desired effect yeah and how do you feel that needs to be done right how can that be improved well, it's about it's about transparency so it's about businesses being prepared to share um both the bad and the good and being yeah, yeah being prepared to be honest and, and actually putting that into public domain actually this is the impact that we're having yeah but on the flip side, this is what we're doing about it. And I think if, if you can be prepared and honest enough to share the bad as well as the good, that's what will build trust and confidence. Yeah. Yeah, well, Dame, I think it's Dame Baroness Powell, uh, she heads up the charity sector. And, you know, she said the biggest, biggest challenge facing the, 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 the charity sector in this decade is transparency. Hmm. And I was like, it's not just the third sector. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But it's bold in terms of um, the marketing message and the and the, the the you know having the courage as a business to turn around and go, guys, listen, we've really looked at our supply chain, we've really looked at the whole impact that we're having, and we've realised that we're we're digging a massive hole in the core here. But now we know it. Now we properly know it. This is what we're going to do about it. And I think when when one or two really big brands have the quite bluntly the balls to do that. And go. We've messed up in the past, but we are not carrying this forward. And the power in that message, I think that's when we're going to see some of these momentum shifts. But like you said, it has to be authentic. It has to be tangible, measurable, able to be. Because you're going to have people from all different sides, left, right, and all in betweens coming out, trying to pick out small elements to prove or disprove and stuff. And it's it, we need to kind of get away from that fake news, nitty gritty noise. And get to some bold conversations and bold admittance and then bold actions to move it forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. I'm loving this. Okay. So um I wanted to ask you the question then about the why would people need your services? And I think we've kind of we've already started to explore this in in, in the conversation we've had so far, Ian. But I'm talking about a small business, let's, let's look at it in a couple of different levels, right? So why would somebody need or want your service in their lives? Let's look at somebody working a self-employed sole trader, and then let's go into slightly larger business with the team, and let's go into the bigger businesses after that. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think there are three reasons. And, and the first one um, goes back to you know, what you said, why, why, do I, why am I doing this? Um, and I think the best way to describe it is in the words of um, uh, a member of Go Climb Positive who joined at the beginning of the year. Um, and I asked him uh, that question, you know, why do you yeah. want to do this? And he said, well, I woke up one day with a conscience. Why? And it's that why inner, if you like, um, stops you in your tracks. It? it does. It's that inner feeling that actually, yeah, do you know what? I want to wake up in the morning feeling that I'm doing something about solving the problem, not being able to contribute to the problem. Yeah. And, and, and there's, a, there's a massive personal, emotional benefit and spiritual yeah. benefit, if you want, if you, if you like, I think, uh, to I that. that. I think that should resonate with most, if not all entrepreneurs, because we've had that same like, seizure moment of, I can't work for that boss anymore, or, oh my God, I have to do this now. This is... This has been my dream. And that pivotal moment where we wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, as Michael Gerber talked about it in the E-Myth, where you know, we have to do this. So we have those feelings as entrepreneurs. We have those momentum sort of triggers. So we should be able to relate to that in terms of our why, right? And yeah. once we wake up to the impacts we're having, but that's, that's got to come from us analyzing it and having these conversations with you to understand what we analyze and how we analyze it to get the best estimate yeah but it's but i think it's important to have that in that actual emotional reason to do it yeah definitely because none of this stuff comes easily and it all you know requires work and so you've yeah. got to have that why behind you to say yeah i'm doing this because i believe it's 
it's it's the right thing to do. Yeah, what's the I phrase? Think, what's the phrase? Um, when your why is big enough, you can overcome any how. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the second reason is that yeah. actually they might have already started on this journey, and have done a whole load of things, but I then realised ah, probably need to be a bit more considered about this. Yeah. Because I've done a whole load of things, but I don't actually know which ones have made the difference. Okay. Uh, and I don't know what to do next to have a difference. Yeah. So. Um, the process we go through, because it is quite considered and we you know, look through every single thing you're doing and then identify where the biggest are, um, means it, it can help you actually be more considered about where to go next. Fab. Okay. So that, that makes more sense to me from, again, what you were saying earlier about it feels like such a big issue, global climate. How can I make a difference, right? The little mosquito, as Gandhi talks about and stuff, you're too insignificant. But um, yeah, what part can I play? How can I make it? Well, if it's if it's about the fact that it's a massive overhanging cliff and I don't know where to start, but actually by starting the process, I realised that I'm actually no, this is interesting. This there's more to this than I thought, but there's also a process to this that I can follow to make it make sense and easy to understand. And, and as a, as a, an outsider looking in, and I mean this, that's the bit that I think you feel. Your approach and what your team are doing—that's the bit that I think is 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 really going to make a difference. Because I asked the question earlier about whether it be a sole trader with a team or larger. But what you're answering here with the two, and we haven't got to the third one yet, is it, it's kind of irrelevant. The business industry, the business size. A lot of cases, yeah. Cool. Wow. Okay. So um, three. The third reason is what we were talking about earlier. Three quarters of the population now want to buy. Green. They want to buy yeah. from businesses who take this seriously. So why wouldn't you want to fulfill that need? It's just simple good business, yeah. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Which sounds really simple, but it should be. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in the business of creating value for customers, aren't we? And, yeah. You know, so that, that is the. And then I think there's perhaps one. Then the, this fourth one is the one which is different. And, and is more relevant to larger businesses. Yeah. And that is that if you want to get the best people into your business, um, the younger people coming into the marketplace, and indeed, you know, the people in the you know, previous generation, me, the, the millennials, expect the businesses they join to take the environment seriously. Yeah. And if you want to get the best people, you're going to have to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've been talking to recruiters and, and people in that kind of industry recently, and they're saying, actually, um, the, the issue of you know, what difference the company they're, make, they're gonna make is actually making on environment. That's mm -hmm. more important than what they do. Yeah. They, they, they're more interested in choosing a career based on the organization and the values of the organization than they are on what the organization actually does. Yeah. Which is a complete turnaround if you think back, you know, go back to the 50s again, where you'd go into an industry for life, wouldn't you? And, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get your carriage block after 25 yeah. years, you know. And here it's now, it's actually, instead of choosing industry, really interesting, you're choosing the values that matter to you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, again, if you want your business to thrive in the long term, it's something you really consider. You get, you, it's all about getting the best people on the bus. Yeah. And, and well, so, mentioning no names, so the, um, a construction company or a, a, a company within the construction industry, right? So you've got a, a complete realm there of different and very, very archaic processes blended in with really futuristic, you know, and, and I've seen I've seen a school that was built with all of the great intentions where they had um, under, you know, the all of the water under the floor stuff and they had massive great big tanks buried in the ground. They had grass growing on the roof and they had a, but actually, when you looked at it, on paper, it kind of sounded, but in reality, one was combating the other, and it was just, it was almost cobbled together because it hadn't been thought through, and it was, so, and a company I was recently talking to, one of their shining stars is literally at the point of losing love for the business and wanting to move out because her passion for green is just not being taken seriously. Because the industry and the and the the company has been in the industry and been almost jaded and beaten down by the industry, as in yeah. But if we did that, it'd be an extra half a million, and they won't go for that because they've been beaten down by price or they've been beaten down by time scale and stuff. And it's again some of that bold actions to turn around and go let's let's include this right in the feasibility right at the start, 
as options because if we give it options you know right at the beginning then people can make informed decisions right so she's getting really really frustrated with the fact that the business that she's in that she fell in love with isn't taking this seriously and it's such an important part of it. and she is a young pup coming through she's a proper talent pool shining star and that's i totally agree with you industry are going to lose out on their talent pools and they're going to kind of break them because they're not shifting with what's coming through yeah. so fab okay so four things i ain't said the three that's lovely man um uh, well, I, I, it, I, yeah that fourth one's kind of came as, as you were talking about larger businesses you know that kind of uh, occurred to me as we, as we were talking yeah well it, it is massive because always keeping an eye on that talent pool of where it's coming from and what's important to them and stuff and it's you know again we saw it in the tech industry the, the it guys of the old you know, were very controlling and very like they took over from the accountant because they had the password so they could almost become godlike status in businesses. And then you've got the young kids that were coming through. They were thinking mobilization and unification and all these kind of things that older guys were going, no, you're not allowed in my server room. That's my domain. And it, it just, it didn't fit, you know, so mm -hmm. it, we'll, we'll see the same. Um, interesting question. Then. What one thing, what one piece of advice would you give someone who is thinking of taping, taking the leap in, in their own business, just to do their own thing. And I know this is coming away from the carbon message for a moment and the, and the climate message for a minute. It would be um, test small, fail fast. Test small, yeah. fail fast. Yeah. Love that. So don't spend six months, a year, three years, trying to make your idea perfect. Figure out a way to test it quickly in a small scale um, that doesn't cost a huge amount of time or money. Learn what you can from that because some things will be good about it, some things will be bad. Yeah. Don't be afraid to give it a test. And don't worry about failing because the failure is an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Um, take what's good, chuck away what's bad and go out and test it again and move quickly. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. Absolutely love it. And what would you say, right, if somebody um, was thinking about taking the leap of going green in their business and really taking on this properly, what one thing would you say to them? <laughs> um, understand what you're really trying to achieve in it. Understand what your goals are. Yeah. And why you're trying to do it. Yeah. And then drive towards that because green means different things to different people. Yeah, and, and sustainability means different things to different people. So understand what's important to you and make a start there because that's if that's where your passion is, you're gonna drive there. Now, long-term, yes, I'd like you to think about all these other environmental and social considerations, but start with where your passion is. Yeah, start with your why. Goes back to that, then as it's Simon Sinek, start with why. Brilliant book. Okay, so thank you, mate. So how do you see your, well, the future really of your not just your company, but your industry. How do you see the future of your company and industry? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because it's, um, it, it's, uh, it's in a lot of ways an immature industry, although it's been around for since the 90s, I suppose. Um, yeah. I think it's still an immature industry. It's very much an unregulated yeah. industry. Um, and so there are a thousand and one different takes on sustainability. Yeah. And you can, you can find a thousand and two systems for measuring it um i think and at the moment it's it's really relying on goodwill so businesses do it because they want to do it yeah where i think the game changer is going to be is when the government implement a carbon tax of some sort okay because that will stop it will move it out of their own goodwill and actually every business is going to have to take it seriously because it then it's about um you know that that is an attempt if you like to to cost in the environmental yeah. damage or environmental benefit that a business is providing um and all of a sudden every business is going to be having to think about yeah uh, that now exactly what form that looks like and what that takes i don't think we know i don't think you know, that's been decided yeah, it's regulated some, some sort of carbon tax or sort of carbon price how that is, is definitely coming down the tracks. I was going to say, how likely do you think that is? I, 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 it's, it's the, I think it's really... When, not if. 
Yeah, it's way not if. It's one of the, the key levers that governments can pull to meet the commitments that they've that they've, that they've made. Yeah. Um, and then you yeah you also think well, you know, right now the government have taken an awful lot of extra um, debt in order to get us through this short term. Yeah. How are they going to how are they going to recover some of that debt? And you do think well, part of that is probably. Uh, going to have to come from uh, incentivizing business to move in the right direction to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, I definitely think it's a when not if, although in what form remains to be seen. Yeah. Okay. And what about your company? How do you see your company, the future of it changing or growing? Or so my company. Um, I so you know I, I'm nothing if not ambitious. So, um, <laughs> so this this year is the year of really. Consolidation, getting all of the processes right, yeah, bedding it in and making sure it works right, and then it is it, it's about going national, um, and there's no, and ultimately, uh, I think we can be international too because fundamentally, it's um, a global problem. The, the principle is a global problem. The principles are the same regardless of where, yeah, um, and it's all about helping, especially small and medium businesses, get to grips with this issue, and um, there haven't been too much help. Uh, in the past, I think uh, there's been a lot of a lot of work done with big corporates, yeah, um, but not a huge amount of support for the for the small and medium sized businesses, which after all make up eighty percent of the businesses in the country. So. Yeah, yeah, and well, in pretty much in every economic part of the globe, in every continent, it's the small businesses that are over fifty percent that are contributing the revenues and the the employees. So, so yeah, and at the end of the day, you know. The more I can grow and the more businesses I can influence and the faster we can move to solving the problem. Fair. Okay, fantastic. So I want to come away from the, the, the business for a second and just finish off with a, a couple of questions about uh, bringing it back to you really, Ian. So what are you listening to or reading at the moment right now? What are you, what are you reading right now? What are you listening to right now? Uh, reading, I'm sure I just literally just finished this actually. What we need to do now by Chris Goodall. Okay, cool. It's a really good read. It's, it's a very practical and um, guide, if you like, to what are the technologies we need to introduce, what are the systematic changes we need to get us from here to zero carbon future in 2050 that we need to do. Yes. Yeah. And it's very much grounded in current research and current thinking and technologies that are around or emerging. Now, it's very, very readable. So it's... Um, yeah, it's worth, it's worth a read. It's good. Cool, fantastic. And what would you say? Um, we'll put a link up to the book actually when we when we uh, share this out. I think it'd be useful. And a couple of books you mentioned. So, um, what is your go-to author or book for either business or self-development for you? Whether whether that be one you've read many times or uh, the author I really like is Daniel Pink. Okay. So I've got a lot out of his books, um, Drive especially, which yeah. is all about um, you know, actually what what is what motivates people and what is motivation all about. And I think it's very very powerful to think into in those terms. Yeah. Um, and his other books too are really interesting because they are rooted in hard research, but they're very very readable and practical and applied and applicable. So. Cool. So it's not too. Um... It's not too textbooky. It's not too kind of academic, but it also is based in a lot of not just science, but a lot of kind of as you said, research. There's a lot of fact in there. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, okay. So before we kind of finish off, and I'd like to talk about links and stuff, there is one thing that we haven't mentioned, which I think it's only fair that we do, because um, for those people that don't know you, there is something that you do when you're not working, which is a bit of a performing aspect. Do you want to just share with the guys a little bit about what we can yeah. find you doing when you're not um, changing well, the um, Yeah, everybody has to let their hair down, even people who have no hair like me. Um, so yeah, so outside of work, I uh, play bass guitar uh, with um, a band called Dire Streets, <laughs> who are a Dire Straits tribute band. And um, you know, we try our very best to be really, really faithful to the music because it is unbelievable music. Yeah. Um, and we, 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 please know we don't try and dress like Dire Straits because 
think they were, they were once voted the seventh worst dressed band in history. Dimitri <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, um, so we don't wear the headbands or anything like that, but we do play the music very authentically, and it is a great opportunity to blow off steam. Yeah, Love Over Gold is a fabulous album. I think Private Investigations and a few tracks on there are just T Tunnel of Love. I just think is yeah. the perfect song. Yeah, you kind of just put it, put the headphones on, turn the lights out, and just lose yourself in the music. Yeah. And I understand, well, I don't understand, I absolutely know, you're not just a bit of a runner. You are a pretty prolific runner, is that right? Well, I do like, I do like to run, yeah. I couldn't claim to be um, uh, that good at it, but I do really enjoy it. Again, it's, yeah, I just love it. I just love it, and I think it's great for the mind, it's great for the body. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I only discovered it, what, three years ago. But now, um, you, you, I can't stop it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. That's it. So, and it's good for the planet. It's good for the health as well, right? Yeah, yeah. The frustrating thing this year is frustrating thing this year is I actually got a place in London Marathon, and then of course it's not been able to. Yeah. Um, okay, but you know, they haven't actually cancelled it yet, so <laughs> you never know. It might yet take place in October. Yeah, exactly. But is there, I've seen quite a few of these runs happening on treadmills remotely and stuff, and people. There's a lot of virtual races been going on. Yeah. Yeah, I give myself a bit of mischief doing a virtual race and trying a bit too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Competitive, you do. Know. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Okay, so uh, finally, then we we will share the links uh, to find you, contact information and stuff like that, and links to YouTube channel stuff. But rather than just assuming, how would you prefer people reach out to you? Uh, so anyone listening, watching that has a question or wants to explore some of the questions that we've asked so far, what's the fastest and the best way to get hold of you in? Um, easiest way is probably on LinkedIn um, because there is a, only one Ian McCrone on LinkedIn. It's certainly spelled the way I spell it. So that's E. Do you want to just spell it out for the guys? So. Yeah, it's an unusual one. So it's E-O-I-N and McCrone is M-C-Q-U-O-N-E. Fantastic. But right, there, I guarantee there's only one of those. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and we'll um. So as I said, we'll put your links up and stuff, and we'll we'll point people to the LinkedIn one uh, predominantly. But as we share this kind of audio and video over the coming weeks and stuff, we'll put other links into different uh, areas of your social, your website, and stuff, so people can find you and find out more information. So, uh, last thing for me, Ian, it's it's to say thank you. Um, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart in terms of thank you for being so honest. You know, it's been fun. Uh, for me, I hope it has for you, and I hope it's been fairly painless, relatively painless. Uh, um, my mission is to get a little bit under the skin and behind the scenes uh, with companies and with leaders in business, as I said right at the start. So uh, I find that in the main, a lot of people that run businesses can seem unreachable, uh, and that's not the truth at all. And I find that when I actually reach out and I talk to people and I ask them to come and share their stories, they're very keen to do that. So thank you for being. Um, the first person to jump on with me in terms of the sales academy showcase stories uh, and i'm looking forward to to doing more of these as we go through with other, other businesses and also um i'd like to invite you along to maverick minds at some point ian if that, if you'd be up for that yeah absolutely I'm, i I, I love talking about what i do so you know <laughs> I, think, well, I think what would be interesting if we if, if we could get a debate going and this is one of the things that, that behind maverick minds that i really love is 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 to get people in the room that have opposing viewpoints not to create a, you know, a, a, an explosive kind of, I, I want to create that debate where we learn together and we accept and agree opposing views, but also educate each other. That's, that's the whole point behind Maverick Minds is let's get back to the basis of society, which is to be able to properly debate yeah. and grow and shift some of those beliefs because yeah. those belief shifts are what triggers the action shifts in my view. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, back, back to Socratic method. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Socratic method of dialogue. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to host you and somebody who's not necessarily just anti-climate positive or, or anti the climate change, but somebody that's having just a complete, and maybe two or three of you, like a range of people that have got different views on this whole climate message. message so we can have a fun, in get intelligent, you know, and let's hope we have no walkouts. <laughs> but, <laughs> let's push some of the boundary of that conversation because I think that's what's needed is to to get it into people's minds into their consciences to push some of the myths and push some of the boundaries so I'd, I'd love to invite you back on the Maverick Minds in the yeah. future 
Yeah, sounds fun. And you know, you should never be afraid to have a debate and, and to learn because we've all got stuff to learn. So, Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me today. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Good man, thank you. Well, I believe wholeheartedly that there are brilliant stories that lay within each of us. Um, and, you know, we have no idea just how many people they could impact if we were to tell them. So thank you once again, mate. And thank you to our listeners, our viewers, uh, subscribers and contributors. So anybody that, uh, if you've liked this, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, get in touch with Ian and ask some questions. I, I know from firsthand experience, and you probably guessed engaged through this interview that he is extremely knowledgeable and extremely passionate about this subject but he's not a waggy finger kind of guy he's a bass playing fun let's make the planet better for our children kind of guy and that is what i want you to tap into so thanks ever so much Ian. it's been a pleasure Look forward to you again. <laughs>